The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Acts 11, 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, Once again, it's good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Real quick before we dive in, uh, Dan mentioned this, but a week and a half from now kicks off a season in the church calendar known as Lent. And I don't know if it's a problem with me, but Lent is my favorite season in the church calendar. Uh, 40 days to remember your sin and to fast and to grieve, which I think matches what I wear. Um, And so we would love, for real though, we're doing a series on prayer through the Lord's Prayer for the 40 days that are going to take us the six weeks through uh, the season of Lent leading up to the great, wonderful celebration celebration of Resurrection Sunday on Easter. And so if you have not yet, please pick up this Lent guide. It's a 40-day guide through Lent. It's uh, two questions I've been getting a lot. It's free, and you should pick up one for each of you. So not like one per couple, because there's tons of places for you to write in it. It's meant to be interactive for you to kind of work through. Uh, A few of our team uh, were at a a conference event this past Thursday, and the speaker there said something that I thought was so helpful. He said, it's one of the lies of American Christianity that we can read or hear our way into Christian maturity. And so let me just encourage you, this is our way as a church of pushing back against that, of saying, no, we actually want to be a people of practice, a people of habit. If you've been around for any length of time at our church, you know we want to follow into the ways of Jesus, not just learn the ideas of Jesus. And so this is the way we're doing that. 40 days through the Lord's Prayer, teaching you how to pray. Every book that I've read in preparation for the series we're going to launch into in two weeks said the only way to learn how to pray is to pray. And so we want to get you praying. And so pick one of these up, please. We have plenty. We will order more if we need to. Take one. Let's do that. Okay, cool. Uh, Here's what I want to do as we get started. Pull out a piece of paper or your phone or your bulletin. This is interaction type of of Sunday. We were late out last night at a wedding for some folks in our group. And so I need you to be with me here this morning. Uh, Here's what I want you to do. Make a chart uh, with three columns. And those three columns are going to be where, what, and who. Let me give you a second to to fill this out. The where is the the places you go in your life. Think your neighborhood, your gym, your favorite coffee shop, your office, the places you go. That's the where. The what is the things you do. How do you spend your time? What are your hobbies? What is your vocation? What are the day-to-day rhythms of your life? And then the who, specifically as it refers to this sermon this morning, is who are the people around you that do not know or follow Jesus? Who are the folks around you that do not know the good news of the gospel, that are not walking with Christ? So take a minute, 
Give you a second to kind of fill those out. Uh, the where, the what, and the who. Take just a minute. Let's pray together. Lord, we are eager this morning to hear from you. And we fall back on one of the promises in your word that it never returns to you void. Lord, so I pray by the power of your spirit that we would be a good soil this morning. We would not just hear your word and let it be choked out by the cares of the world. We would not hear the word and have hard, hearts that are so hard that it doesn't make any impact into our lives, Lord, but that we'd be a soft soil ready to hear, receive, and then do the word so that we would bear fruit. What I know when it comes to thinking about evangelism, thinking about mission, it's just kind of one of those things in the Christian life that we so often easily feel condemnation for. It's kind of one of those we can't really hide from you about. So Lord, I pray that as Morgan already prayed, you would be gentle with us and yet strong like a good father. We need you. We love you. We're desperate for you to speak. Probably sings in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. We are rounding the corner uh, and heading towards home in our vision series that we've been in over the past couple of months, month and a half or so, looking at our vision as a church, which is to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. By way of recap, we spent the first part of the series talking about what it means to be a church that is Jesus-centered, that Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one who died for our sins, stands in between us and God, interceding, pleading on our behalf, washing us clean. But that also he's king, that he's Lord, he is ruler, he reigns over all things and over our lives. And then we spent the past two weeks talking about the idea that as we revolve our lives around Jesus, we would more and more revolve our lives around each other, that church is a family. And being a family means two things. First, we share our lives. We actually intertwine the day in and day out realities of our lives with one another. And then as Garrison said last week from 1 John, we also share our hearts, that we learn to confess our sins, to bring our darkness, not just before the Lord, but also before one another, because as the scriptures promise, that is where we find fellowship. That's where we find welcome. But we said week one, that if you were to miss one or multiple parts of this vision, that you're left with some problems. So if we were to stop there, right, we are a Jesus-centered family, period, then what we're left with is nothing short of an insulated community, a group of people who really like each other, who get along, who try to point each other towards Jesus, care for one another, serve one another, but miss out on the story God has been writing from the very beginning and always consistently inviting his people into, namely a mission to bring himself glory among all people as they turn to worship him. And so that's where we're turning our attention over these final two weeks, the final part of our vision statement, on mission with God. What does it mean not just to revolve our lives around Christ and each other, but then to actually move into the world, inviting others to do the same? Or you could say it this way, in this kind of phrase we're going to explore over the next two weeks together to close out our series. When we say on mission, here's what we mean. Ordinary, everyday missionaries for the good of Charlotte. 
That's kind of the summary phrase of what we are going for when it comes to being on mission with God. Ordinary, everyday missionaries for the good of Charlotte. This week, we're going to kind of leave for the good of Charlotte to next week. This week, I want to talk about ordinary, everyday missionaries. What does it mean to be ordinary, everyday missionaries? This has been the heartbeat of Jesus' church from the very beginning. So if you would, go back just in your mind with me, because I know we can all imagine it, 2,000 years ago. 33 AD, Jesus, son of God, has entered into the world. He's lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross for the sins of the world, and yet three days later rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death. And he's gathered the remaining 11 disciples on Mount Arbel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And this group, this 11, is a ragtag group right? There's fishermen, there's a tax collector who's a social outcast, there's a political anarchist, no formal training among the group, just three years of following Jesus, learning to be with him and become like him. One member of their 12 has just betrayed Jesus, another one who's still in the group of 11 denied him three times. They've been beat up and cast out and they're confused. That's why I love Matthew's telling of this story, because he says, here's the 11 with Jesus on the mountain. Some are worshiping, but some are doubting. It's a ragtag group of people. And Jesus looks at these 11, and in his final words to them before ascending to the right hand of God says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We could just stop it there. That's beautiful. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here's why. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, Jesus looks at this 11, beat up, torn down, a little bit confused because they saw Jesus die and now he's alive again. What is happening? And he says, all right, you're up. Tag, you're it. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and it's time for you to go. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words, God's plan to take the greatest news there ever was, the gospel of Jesus Christ his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and life forever with God. Jesus says God's plan to spread that across the world is you. Ordinary, beat up, confused, doubting disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, you will carry on this good news. You will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who take this to the world. And so wait for the Holy Spirit and then go. Go preach the good news of Jesus. And if you know the story of Acts, you know the disciples do just that. Just a short while later, they're joined by about 100 other folks in Jerusalem in an upper room, and they're praying, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost shows up, and bam, the gospel takes off across the world like wildfire. And it spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads, where over the course of the first 350 years of Christianity, it goes from 120 people in a singular room to over 34 million followers of Jesus in 350 years. The gospel spreads, like Jesus said it would, to the ends of the earth. But notice, not through political power. Christianity, for the first 350 years, is a persecuted outcast. It was a very society religion. It doesn't spread through full-time vocational ministry leaders or a rare thing to be paid for ministry during this time. It doesn't spread through awesome resources or devotional guides or podcasts. There's no internet, obviously. No printing press, no seminaries doesn't even spread through great religious events. They mostly gathered in homes around tables to celebrate their Savior. Here's instead what happens. The mission of God advances through Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary, everyday men and women. 
It's my whole thesis for this morning. There you go. You can leave if you want to. Just kidding. Please don't. That'd be hurtful. The mission of God advances through Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary, everyday men and women. We believe this with everything we have as a church, that Jesus' strategy then and now to get the gospel to the world is Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary, everyday men and women. This charge Jesus gives his disciples 2,000 plus years ago is also for you and for me. The Lord would say to us, Citizen Church, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you, you ragtag group of accountants and teachers and nurses and stay-at-home moms and managers with all of your doubts and uncertainties and failings and stumblings, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Charlotte and in North Carolina and America and the world. In fact, I'll say it this way. This is not just God's plan for his people. It's God's command for his people. This is what he calls us to do. This is now a part of your identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you would claim the name of Christ, you are now a missionary. To be a Christian is to be a sent one by God. If you are in Christ, you have a mission to take the gospel to the world. I love this quote from a pastor in Raleigh named Tony Merida. He says it this way, the only difference in a believer sitting in his or her American home and a foreign missionary on the field is location, not identity. That's the key. The gospel spreads through God's people, centering their lives around Jesus and around each other, and then inviting people to experience the grace of God and do the same. That's what we are after as a church. So here's what I want to do. Grab a Bible, head to Acts chapter 11 if you're not already there. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at one specific group of Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary, everyday men and women who God uses in an incredible way to take the gospel to a city and through a city to the world. So we're just going to look at this. I'm going to walk through this passage together, Acts 11, and then I'll just pull some stuff out at the end for us to learn. Acts 11. How are we doing? Good? Love it. All right, verse 19. Here we go. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. All right, what's happening here in Acts 11 is Luke, the author of Acts, is returning to a narrative thread he started back in 7 and 8. So in 9 and 10, he kind of goes on a little tangent for a little bit, and then he comes back to this story. What happens in Acts chapter 6 and 7 is Stephen, one of the early deacons, one of the early leaders in the church, is killed for sharing the gospel, killed for preaching the good news of Jesus. And what we read happens because of his persecution is this, Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. So that's Saul who later becomes Paul in a little bit of the story. He'll have this radical conversion, become one of the leading missionaries. He's actually in Acts 11 as well. But Saul approves of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Notice this, except the apostles. It's a really key phrase. Keep that in mind. Hop back to chapter 11. Verse 19, that's what Luke's picking back up on. Now, those who were scattered because of this persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So Luke tells us that there's a group of people scattered because of the persecution. In other words, on the run for their lives, find themselves in Antioch, sort of wound up there. They're like, oh, we're in Antioch. And they start telling people about Jesus. Specifically, the Hellenists, Greeks, non-Jewish people. They start preaching Christ here in this new place they have found 
themselves. Pick it up in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. It's a phrase used throughout the scriptures to mean the power and presence of God. As you read from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see these times where it says the hand of the Lord is upon someone or with someone. It means that God is about to move in power through them. And this is what happens. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, real quick, just notice that language that Luke uses, right? A great number who believed turned to the Lord. So apparently to Luke, there is a difference between believing and turning. There's a difference between believing Jesus exists, believing that he did what he did, and actually turning and reorienting our lives around him. Luke says a great number believed, and many of those turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So apparently the gospel is taking off so much in this city, they're like, hey, news reaches the the church in Jerusalem, those who did not scatter because of the persecution. And they're like, what is happening in Antioch? Barnabas, you, go figure it out. Go check on what's happening because this is crazy. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God. That's Luke's description for the revival that's taking place in Antioch. He says, there's no other way to describe it. It's just the grace of God. That many people are coming to faith. That many people are coming to the Lord. There's no other way to put it. It's just the grace of God. He was glad, and Barnabas exhorted, he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And notice again, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas shows up, it's the grace of God, everybody's getting saved, and he says, hey, just keep on preaching, keep on doing what you're doing, don't change a thing, just stay steadfast, keep on going. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So he's like, this is so awesome. We got to go get Saul, who at this point from Acts 8 to now has now converted to Jesus, become a Christian, is a preacher and leader in the church. He's like, I got to tell Saul about what's happening. So he brings him to Antioch. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's a really key point in the text. Up until this point, followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were called either disciples or followers of the way or the way. And it came from Jesus calling himself the way, the truth, and the life. But here in Antioch, they're given a new name. They are called Christians. And this is not a fun thing. This is not a good thing. This is actually a derogatory thing. What Christian means is at its root, little Christ. And so people in Antioch who are not turning to the Lord say, these people are becoming so weird because of Jesus, we have no other name to call them but to mock them by the Savior that we think we killed. That's how much the gospel is taking root in their lives. So the gospel shows up to the city, and it's like, you got one of two options. Either you turn to the Lord or you make fun of them. Those are your two options. But either way, you're not going to ignore the gospel. Either way, you're not going to ignore what God is doing. All right, so we'll stop the story there. If you were to keep going uh, through Acts 11, I'll encourage you this week, you can go read it into 12, 13, 14, even 18. This church in Antioch becomes really the church planning training center for the ancient world. It becomes this launching point for the Apostle Paul, where time and time again, he comes back to Antioch, gets trained, gets rest, gets care, and then goes back out to plant another church, is there for a few years, comes back to Antioch, repeat and repeat. This little church planted by people who don't even have their names in the scriptures, not the apostles, find themselves in a city of Antioch, preach the good news of Jesus, and it becomes the training ground for church planning in the ancient world. It's an incredible story. It's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about today. 
but what does it mean for us? Here's what I want to do. I think the invitation for us as we consider Acts chapter 11, as we consider what it means to be ordinary, everyday missionaries, is to be and live more like the church in Antioch than the church in America. And here's what I mean by that. I think the way that the church tends to talk about or think about mission, there can be some misconceptions or some mindsets that kind of get in our own way of being what God calls us to be as his followers, namely sent ones by God, missionaries, ordinary, everyday people taking the gospel. So I think what it takes and what it's going to take for us in order to step into this ordinary, everyday mission of God is three distinct mindset shifts. So what I want to kind of pull from Acts chapter 11 for us, we'll hit them quick. Three mindset shifts that you have to make to retrain yourself away from how you might be tempted to think based on the world and the flesh and actually live into the mission of God. Three mindset shifts. Number one, here we go. From that's their job to I'm sent by God. From that's their job to I'm sent by God. Acts chapter 8, verse, verse 1, we'll read it again. It says, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, notice, except the apostles, or Acts eleven twenty. But there were some of them who found their way to Antioch. Some of them. Not Peter, not Paul, not Luke, not John, some of them. They're not even named. Like, how do you feel, right, if Luke writes the story of the early church and he writes about this church in Antioch that's the church planning training center for most of the ancient world, and he's like, yeah, there were some folks, some people. They're not even that important. I'm not even going to name them. But some of them. I mean, you want to talk about ragtag, like the group of disciples, the 11 on Mount Arbel, that was ragtag, not even to mention the some of them that don't even get named. Right? Like the disciples are named, and they're beat up and messed up and doubting. How about those who don't even get named? But notice their attitude. We will do it. They show up to Antioch, and they're not like, all right, there's a bunch of people in Antioch who don't know Jesus. Let's call Barnabas, get him to come preach the gospel, and then maybe some people will get saved. What do they do? They show up in Antioch, and they're like, well, we should start talking about Jesus, I guess. That's what we do as followers of Christ, right? We live as missionaries. We're going to step into this. We can do it. We were sent here. Yes, it was a persecution. Yes, it wasn't really our choice to flee our hometown, but now we're here, and so we might as well start preaching the good news of Jesus, right? Here's where it applies to us. I think some of us talk ourselves out of mission or out of sharing the gospel by believing one of two lies. The first lie is that evangelism or mission is the job of a select few who are gifted in it or really good at it. Right, so like that person, they're supposed to do evangelism. They're supposed to share the gospel with their neighbor because they're just good at making friends. Like they just have a people personality. They're not awkward. They're not weird. They're just comfortable or normal around other new people making friends. Or maybe they have the spiritual gift of evangelism, like those people. Others of us talk ourselves out of it because we believe the lie that mission or evangelism is the job of our pastors. And so my job is just to get people to the church thing. And then you, you preacher man, you tell them about Jesus. Which is, hear me on this, some people are gifted in evangelism. And yes, it is part of my job to preach the gospel. And it's a good thing for you to invite people to stuff we do as a church. But to use that as an excuse goes against God's design where he says over us, you all will be my witnesses. Don't miss the beauty that Luke has in the details of Acts. Some of them preach the gospel. The mission of God advances through ordinary, everyday Holy Spirit-empowered men and women. This is why our mission plan as a church has very little to do with big missional events and initiatives. 
Like if you're around for any length of time, we are not going to do the big flashy things. That's just not what we think the Bible calls us to do. Our plan is to use our limited time and resources and energy to equip you to do what God has called you to do, namely share the gospel where he has put you. Because we're going to do some big fun things. We're going to have a party on Easter. We're going to have a Super Bowl party tonight. Those are good things, but we want to give most, if not the vast majority of our time as a church to equipping you to advance the kingdom of God, because you have a role to play in this. We think the kingdom of God is meant to advance more through you being in love with Jesus at the neighborhood poker night, through you being in love with Jesus at the office happy hour, through you being in love with Jesus at your friend's birthday party, through you being in love with Jesus at your kid's class Valentine's Day party this week, like hypothetically I have to go to. (laughs) That's how the gospel has always spread. Ordinary, everyday people in their ordinary, everyday lives, and that's how we believe God wants it to continue to spread today. So we're gonna give ourselves to train you to be equipped to go do that. That's number one. Number two, from I don't have time, to where has God put me? From I don't have time to where has God put me? I'm not even getting to fear today, so don't be nervous if you're worried about that one. From I don't have time to where has God put me? Look back at verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice just the the randomness. It doesn't fully translate into English, but who on coming to Antioch? It's just kind of like, there they are. They're in Antioch. Now they start preaching Jesus. Let's just face it. A huge barrier to us living missional lives as followers of Jesus is our busyness. Busyness is a barrier to all of life with God, including us living a missional life. And we talk about this all the time, right? Our culture is just wired for us to wear the badge of busyness, to run ourselves into the ground, to load up our schedules, to go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to either crowd out our time, or if we have time, crowd out our energy from being able to step into the mission of God. So you're saying, okay, I'm listening to you in this series, Tim. I'm supposed to be Jesus-centered. All of these practices like prayer and scripture and Sabbath and fasting and what? And I'm also supposed to be family, like revolve my lives around these people. And now you want me to add mission on top of this? But hear the shift, right? It's not from I don't have time to freeing up our schedule. That's not the shift. The shift is from not I don't have time to where has the Lord put me. And that's important. This group of some of them that don't even get named by Luke get to Antioch and they're not bemoaning the fact they're no longer in Jerusalem. Some of us do not live on mission in Charlotte because we're still bemoaning the fact that we're not somewhere else. And God has moved us into this place that we would find ourselves here ready to share the gospel. And so the question becomes, where have you found yourself? What are the things you're already doing? And how do you do those with gospel intentionality? I love the way Cesar Kalinowski, he's kind of a a missiologist leader, says it. He says, we need to move from a mindset of additional to intentional. What if God has actually given us this amazing way of seeing life that would make all of life one big, huge opportunity for discipleship and mission? Like everything we're already doing, what if it's already an opportunity perfect for discipleship and mission? Intentional, not additional. In other words, I'll say it even more clearly, wherever you are and whatever you do, God has put you there to be a witness for him. So you think you chose the house you live in because of the neighborhood, because of the location, because of the schools, and because of the affordability. And those were definitely reasons you chose it, but God has put you there to be a missionary for him. You think you chose the job you had because it interests you, because it was the one you could get, because it matched your resume, whatever, but God has put you there to be a missionary for him. 
You think you stop at your favorite coffee shop five times a week because of its great oat milk vanilla latte. And you might actually do, but no, God has put you there to be a missionary for him. And so the posture becomes eyes up. I'm off my phone. I actually put it away. I look at a human being in the face and I ask this question of everywhere I go in my life, how can the Lord use me for his mission? A few weeks ago, I was in Louisville, Kentucky uh, for class and we were hanging out with a group of pastors at lunch and one of the guys is from the city. We sit down at Chewy's, which is great, Tex-Mex, love it. And they have the salsas. Anyway, um, and we sit down and we're all like hungry. We've been in class all day, like I'm tired, I don't wanna engage. And our waiter comes over and this guy at the table, he just starts asking him questions. He's like, what's your name? Awesome, cool, like, you know, do you like being a waiter? Like, you know, is there, do you want to do something else with your life? Like, what are you going? He's like, he starts telling him all of these different things. You know, I'm going to school for this and I'm doing this and I'm trying to start this business and all this kind of stuff. And it's like 30 minutes later, I'm like, can, can you take my order now? Like, I would like the burrito, please. But here's what this pastor was doing that I have no eyes to see sometimes. He goes, okay, I'm in Chewy's and we're all here to eat, but God has me here to be a missionary. And so I'm going to take the, the five minutes. I'm going to take the 10 minutes. I'm going to ask the question, how's it going? What's your name? Human made in the image of God. And he loves him and he serves him. And listen, that didn't lead to that guy's falling on his knees in the middle of Chewy's becoming a Christian. But what it did lead to is, hey, let me pray for you. Hey, now the gospel might plant a seed in his heart. Hey, this might be one step of many where 10 years from now, the Lord might bring somebody into his life. And he goes, yeah, one time 10 years ago, I was at Chewy's and I met this guy and he was super weird, but he prayed for me and loved me. And it might be that small, but it's eyes up. It's intentionality. Everywhere I am, I'm here because the Lord has put me there. So what would it look like? Not to add anything new to your schedule. We're going to talk about that next week, so we'll come back to that. But to be intentional with what God has already put you into. That's number two. Number three. So last one. From there is no way to the hand of the Lord is with us. From there is no way to the hand of the Lord is with us. Verse 21 is critical to this whole story of Antioch. This is what it says. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. Every year as a church, uh, we do something called member checkups. And it's just a chance for us to get some feedback on how our members are doing, to just ask, how are you doing with the Lord? How are you doing in your relationships? And one of the questions we asked this year was um, basically barriers to mission. Is there a reason why you wouldn't invite someone to group or to church or to share the gospel with them? And overwhelmingly across the board, there was a few like busyness and fear, but most of it was, well, I'm, I'm getting to know my neighbor, I'm getting to know my coworker, I'm getting to know my friend, and they're just not interested. Like they've made it abundantly clear, I'm just not interested in Jesus. And here's my encouragement to us, and this is why I want to I close on this one, is what if we actually believed in the midst of that situation that the hand of the Lord was with us? If I get to pick one thing I want to be characteristic of our church, one thing, it is that. That Citizen Church would be marked as a church where the hand of the Lord is with us. Because I would argue that nothing else really matters if you have that, and nothing else really matters if you don't have that. And so you might feel like, I'm the worst evangelist ever. Like, I have no idea how I'm going to answer any questions about God. I start, like, my hands get sweaty, and I start shaking if I have to talk to anybody. Like, your anxiety might be that big, and that's not a joke. That's serious. Like, I'm, I'm dead serious. You might be that terrified of ever thinking about the reality of sharing Jesus. But if the hand of the Lord is with you, your neighbor might have made it abundantly clear that you're an idiot. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I want nothing to do with that. 
And you might, with every inkling of your soul, want to go, I just kind of want to give up loving them and serving them and being their friend. There's no way they're ever going to believe. But if the hand of the Lord is with you. Listen, we meet, I don't know if you noticed, we meet at a YMCA in the third floor in a workout room. Like, this is actually a workout room, right? But if the hand of the Lord is with us, we just need space. We just need space. We could meet anywhere. We could meet outside. We could bundle up and do it in the rain. If the hand of the Lord is with us. If he's with us, that's the whole point. It's my firmly held position. Here's, here's where I want to close. It's my firmly held position that the number one reason we don't live into the mission of God is not fear. It's not busyness. It's not actually thinking it's somebody else's job. It's not a lack of theological knowledge or apologetical training. It's, it's not any of these other excuses we give. The number one reason we don't join in the mission of God is that we don't think the hand of the Lord is actually with us. We don't think he actually saves. Because here's what I know, because I know you. If you believe the Lord was actually going to save your neighbor, you know what you would do this afternoon? You would go share the gospel with your neighbor. If you believe the Lord was actually going to bring your coworker to himself in saving faith of Jesus, you know what you would do Monday morning? You'd be like, sorry, boss, I'm not going to make the meeting. I got to go share my, my faith with Chris, with Joe, with Bob, with Susie. If you thought that God would actually save your family member, you know what you do right now? You would actually get up in the middle of this sermon, walk outside and call your family member and tell them about Jesus. And so the problem is not actually your fear. It's not actually your busyness. It's not actually your apathy. It's actually our disbelief and doubt that God still does what he's been doing for thousands of years. Bringing people to himself, saving people, bringing people into his kingdom. And so the question then becomes, not will you live on mission, but rather do you believe the hand of the Lord is with you? That's the question that today makes us wrestle with. So look around you. It's going to be super weird. Look around you. Look around you at the, at the room. If you're new, I'm really sorry. <laughs> this is God's plan to take the gospel to the world. Now, not like Citizens Church. We're not that special. I mean the people of God. We, you, Holy Spirit-empowered follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian in the room, you are God's plan to take the gospel to the world. You are God's plan to take the gospel to your coworker. You are God's plan to take the gospel to your neighborhood. You are God's plan to take the gospel to your children. You are God's plan to take the gospel to your family. The mission of God advances through Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary, everyday men and women. That's what we're after as a church. When we say Jesus-centered family on mission with him, and here's our strongest belief in that. There's a reason why I fight that we would all include the with him, Right? Not Jesus-centered family on mission, stop. Jesus-centered family on mission with him is because we can be ordinary, everyday missionaries because we serve and follow into mission an extraordinary God. That's why we can be super lame <laughs> and super weird and super bad at this and super stumbly and super, I don't know, Jesus. Ugh. Because the Holy Spirit will do and continues to do what he has always done. So we follow him. We're on mission with him. He goes before us. We're like, God, what are you doing in my neighborhood? How do I step into that with eyes up intentionality for the sake of the kingdom of God? That's what we're going after. So here's how I want to close. I'm going to invite Brent back up just to play a little bit to eliminate distractions. I want you to go back to those three lists. I'm going to put it back on the screen um, just in case you were like, I didn't believe you to do it the first time. And you can make another three lists. The where, the what, and the who. Here's how I want to end today. God has put you into these places as a missionary. If you are a Christian, you are in these places as a missionary. So here's, here's what I want to do. Just to take a few minutes as we close, I want to create space for you to ask yourself this specific question. What would I do today if I was convinced the hand of the Lord is with me?
What would I do today? Not tomorrow, not this week, not next month. What would I do today if I was convinced the hand of the Lord is with me? Would you send that text to the coworker inviting them to the Super Bowl party? Would you go on that walk with that neighbor who's been inviting you to hang out for months? Would you cut someone's grass as a chance to show them the love of Jesus? Would you see if someone was interested in a lunchtime Bible study at your office? Would you invite someone to hang out with your community group? Would you have a conversation with that neighbor you just are intimidated by? Whatever the case may be, I'm gonna give us some space. What would you do today if you were convinced the hand of the Lord is with you? Spend some time with the Lord in prayer, write it down, make a plan, and then I'll close this in a second. you to keep working through this list this week, to bring them to your groups. If you're not in a group, come to CG Basics and get in a group. Here's where I want to close. This has been my, my prayer for us as a church over the past few weeks thinking about this sermon, is that our story in Citizens Church, and if you're not a part of us, welcome. You're, we'd love for you to be. But my heart and my prayer for our church is that we would have a some of them story. That our story would be some of them started a church in Charlotte and the hand of God was with them. Some of them sacrificed time and energy and comfort and money. Some of them risked their reputation. Some of them shared the gospel with their neighbors and saw people come to faith. Some of them served the vulnerable in the city simply because Jesus first served them. Some of them saw God move in power and a great number added to the Lord. What if we as a church just lived to be some of them? What if we just said, you know what? got 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, somewhere in there. What if I just give it away? To quote one of my favorite old, now dead theologians, what if we as a church took the posture of preaching the gospel, dying and being forgotten? So we believe that the hand of the Lord is with us. So if you would stand, we're gonna take communion in that same spirit. If you wanna keep praying, you're welcome to. Communion is how we respond every week to the preached word of God because it's a chance for us to remember the body and blood of Christ, that Christ came and made a way for us to know God. That is the heart of our message. That is the heart of our mission, that Jesus has come so you and I could know God. That's what we preach and proclaim. And every Sunday when we gather, we take communion to remember that good news. If you're not a Christian, if you're here with us, we're so glad you're here. We would love for you to believe this very gospel Jesus tells us to preach that Christ has come, that he has died, that he has risen for your sins, that you can be made right with God. I'm gonna be down front afterward. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. But for all who are in Christ, for all who call on the name of the Lord for salvation, come, take, eat, remember, and be spurred on towards mission. Stay community when you're ready.